for that uh, on my phone, so feel free. Everyone just appreciate Cairo right there, Cairo. And uh, he's a uh, foreign servant and uh, for in the um, State Department. We appreciate his uh, efforts there. So anyway, the message of Easter is life conquers death. And that's good news because life is good and death stinks. I'm glad that we have the message that life conquers death because living life is a good thing. Dying, not so much. You know, in the book of John, chapter 11, and everything that we're going to refer to today is from the Bible, the book that God has given to us. So when I refer to a reference by chapter and by verse by a certain book of the Bible, just know that what we have received is from this beautiful book called the Bible. And in the Bible, in John chapter 11, we have this amazing story about a friend of Jesus whose sisters were also a, a personal friend of Jesus who died. And if you know the story, you know that that man's name was Lazarus. And when Jesus arrived at Lazarus's tomb, he found that Lazarus had been behind the stone that covered, because tombs in that time and in that place were essentially caves, and there was a stone mold, rolled in front of that cave. And, and, and when he got there, he found that, uh, Jesus found that Lazarus had been behind that stone for four days. And when Jesus inquired of Martha, the, bro- the sister of Lazarus, about his, uh, his, his, the, the, the blessing that he wanted to bring into that circumstance, uh, the, the, the simple response of Mary was this, Lord, by now, there, by, by this time, there will be an odor. And I, I, I love the way that the more, um, you know, 1600s version, King James Version translation in English says it, it's Lord, by now he stinketh. Yeah. <laughs> Have you ever thought that something stinketh? Well, what she was saying is, is that death stinks. Just the, decomp- the decomposition of the human body is an odorous affair. But the emotions accompanied with that stink. The worst moment of my life was standing at, in a cemetery at the graveside of my 52-year-old sister. You know, there's, there's nothing like taking a human being who you love, animated, personable, spirited, funny, sweet, cute. Everyone called Cheryl cute. We called her the cute one in the family, and, and uh, she was really sweet. And then you have to put her in the ground, this person that you love. And at that point, you just can only feel that death just stinks. That you have to take a loved one, somebody that you care about so much, and actually put them underneath dirt. It's such a fatalistic experience. I don't know yet if you've experienced standing next to the graveside of a loved one. I know that many of you have. And it's at that point that we just recognize, you know, this is the hardest thing that I've ever had to do to say goodbye for life to a loved one. That stinks. I mentioned that my dad and my mom are here. And they have said what other parents have said whose children pass away before them. It's the worst thing that you ever have to do in life is to actually bury a child. It just, we're just going to get honest with it. It stinks. When a baby dies who has all of their life in front of them, that stinks. When a loved one dies, somebody that we want to hold on to and we have to say goodbye to, that stinks. When innocent life is taken, that stinks. When there's a school shooting, we're outraged because we know that this is putrid. This is not what is supposed to happen in life. That children go to school, elementary school kids, junior high school kids, high school age kids, 
go to school and never come home to their families again. All of this, we recognize it stinks. Uh, When human life ends in general, it's a stinky proposition. Personal and physical death is something that is unwanted by all of us. But there's not just physical death. I believe that there's other kinds of death. And I believe that all the different forms of death stink. Did you know there's societal death? There's societal life. We do it together as human beings. We give life to society. But if you look at the trajectory of history, you see that those societies that bring benefit to numerous people, never all, because all humanity is imperfect. So even the best of societies don't bring perfection to to all lives. But we recognize that there are societies that are created by us that bring life to Uh, to many people in many different ways and yet we see societal death when you look at Columbine when you look at Sandy Hook when you look at what the shooting recently in Florida when you look at the schoolhouse in Amish country a few years ago we have to ask the question is there decay taking place in society I, I understand that there's a debate going on about gun control and it should go on it must take place But the reality is, we've got to look deeper than that. We have to look, is there something going on in our society that teenage boys are walking in, whether whether like the bomber in Texas that was uh, setting bombs for people to discover, or bullets, or whatever it is, we have to ask the question, is there societal death somehow, and to some degree, that we're experiencing? But no matter what it is, it's sickening. It stinks. As a pastor, I've been with people when they breathe their last breath. Years ago, when I was establishing ministry along with my wife in a pioneer way up in uh, northern New England, I, 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 uh, we, we didn't really have income from ministry, and so I, I worked a whole bunch of different jobs, and one of them was a funeral home. And I was there with people after they, like, right after they died. As a pastor, I've been there with people when they died. And I've watched the last part of personality leave many individuals. I've seen it. I've seen the last breath leave. And I've recognized at that point that though the body remains, the person is no longer there. What animated this physical being is no longer there. And we can look at that and say, you know, there's a physical thing going on in death, but there's also a spiritual thing going on in death. But I believe that there's not just death uh, that, that is complete from this life, but along the way, all of us experience death in some ways. Because as a pastor, I've not only been with people when their bodies have died, I've been with people when their marriages have died, when their children have died, when, when, when their dreams have died, when their destinies have died. I remember going week after week to the D.C. jail and visiting a young man because his mother asked me to pray for him. And I, and I, I started to pray and I felt like I needed to go visit him. And I went to start visiting him in, in that prison and he welcomed me to come. Probably because, you know, he, he got out of his cell. I don't know what, but, but he, he really warmed up to me and I really warmed up to him. And he was in for some really heinous crimes. And I started to get to know him and I found out that his parents had sent him to a Christian school, Hope Christian Academy, right, out, right, right nearby where we are right now. He had such promise, beautiful, beautiful young man. And when I say beautiful young man, I'm talking about beautiful on the inside and beautiful on the outside. The girls love this guy. And when he found out that he could use that affection that they had for him, that attraction that they had toward him, He turned it sour when he realized that he could actually make money off of it. And he became what society despises. And I visited him and I, and I wondered, you know, what happened to the destiny of this young man? What happened to this child? What happened to a boy who was sent to Christian school, who was loved by, who learned scriptures and all of these things? What happened to him? What happened to the destiny of this young man that now he's become like, in some ways, a monster among us and he's paying in jail for his crimes? 
And I just wondered about the destiny, and I asked him some questions about his life, and I found out that it was a typical story, unfortunately, in our society. It was a dad who left his mom after beating her up, and then abandoned him as a father. And, and even though he called himself a Christian and attended church on a weekly basis, which actually made matters worse for this young man's faith, he abandoned him. And this man felt let down by a father who should have been there for him, and by God who seemed to somehow be mixed up in all of it because of this man's profession of being a Christian. And, and he abandoned his faith. He abandoned his belief system, his secure place in that home. And he went on and began to live on the streets. But in doing so, he also abandoned his destiny. At that moment, his destiny died. Now, I'm glad to tell you that that young man is still alive. And I believe that because of the hope of the resurrection, that there's still hope for him. But the reality is, is that what he became was not the promise uh, that people expected of him. So you've got not only physical death, not only at times societal death, but death of destinies. What, where did that MS-13 gang member start? They were a child, but loved by somebody brought into this world. And then we see them, uh, you know, not in any way fulfilling their promise. And that's just stinks. We have the death of faith. Do you know that Mary and Martha remained strong in their faith in Jesus? But they wavered. In the end, they affirmed their faith in Jesus, but they both wavered. Both sisters at the graveside of their brother said, Lord, if you had been here, our brother would not have died. You know, it's an interesting thing because when you read John chapter 11, it says that Jesus loved Lazarus and he waited four days to go to his sickbed. By that time, it was too late. You know, when we have faith, but then all of a sudden we feel like we no longer have reason to, faith, to have faith. Faith in ourselves, faith in a family member, faith in a father, faith in God himself. At that point, we begin to have a death experience of faith, of belief in our lives. And I believe that sometimes that can be worse than physical death. When you realize there's no reason to believe anymore, to have faith anymore. And here are two sisters on two separate occasions saying, Lord, if you would have been here, if you had come, my brother would not have died. You know, the interesting thing is, is that we think that what God does stinks. And we think sometimes that what God doesn't do stinks. There are times in our life when we say, Jesus, if you had come before, it would have been okay, but you waited and that stinks. If you had just changed my circumstance, then I would still believe in you, but no longer can I believe in you. Not only God because of what it seems that you've done, but also God because of what it seems that you haven't done. And we lose dreams at that moment. We lose faith at that moment. And, and, and you know what's interesting is that at Lazarus's tomb, what happens at all cemeteries, what happens at all funerals, humans do what humans do. They wept. But the curious thing is, the shortest verse of the Bible is there are just two words. And it's there in John chapter 11 and it says, Jesus wept. And I've wondered where Jesus knew that he was about to resurrect Lazarus from the dead. And great praise would come up to God. And there would be a great celebration that would lead to the triumphal entry uh, into Jerusalem of Palm Sunday. I wondered why Jesus wept at that moment. And I think it's because Jesus allowed himself to become human and to experience humanity, to experience how death stinks, how having to say goodbye, how mourning stinks, weeping, all of these things, they stink. He actually got in touch with that. So when they wept, he couldn't help but weep alongside of them. You see, because this is not what God intended for humanity. When the Bible speaks about death, it talks also about eternity. What's interesting is in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, and, it's, and by the way, if you haven't read Ecclesiastes, it's the most depressing book in the Bible. If you want to be depressed, read Ecclesiastes. You know why? Because Ecclesiastes tells us the truth about life 
that has no meaning, that is apart from God. And when you begin to read the, the very, very accurate description of life without hope, all you have is meaninglessness, 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 futility. That's what life is. There is no reason for life if all we do is die and then someday the whole universe burns up and it's all gone. There's no reason to have hope when we take a view of humanity without God coming and making a difference without God having intentions for us that never give up even though we give up on God. That that we realize that there's death but somehow there also has to be hope of eternal life. And I love in Ecclesiastes 3 verse 13 where it simply says this word, God has placed eternity in our hearts. God has placed eternity in our hearts. That's why we stand at gravesides and and we know somehow intuitively that this is wrong. Death is an interruption. It should not take away life. Life is amazing. Bodies are amazing. They're greater than any supercomputer. What you are doing with your mind is, is, is just miraculous right now. What you're doing with your ears, with your eyes, without even thinking about it. What your red blood cells and your white blood cells and, and those who are medical among us can tell us that all of us are walking miracles. But when death comes, we're no more. The brain is gone. The heart is gone. All of it is, is no longer And you can only experience despair at that point. But then we have a scripture in the most depressing book of the Bible that says that God has placed eternity in our hearts. That's when you have that nagging sense that this is not the way it's supposed to be. You're right, because God didn't create us to die. It was only when we chose to live life without God, to be our own master. It was only when Adam and Eve chose to reject God's instructions that they could have every thing in the garden but one thing and they allowed themselves to be deceived into choosing that one thing that was against God and at that point sin entered in the world and when sin enters in the world death enters into the world God had clearly told them in Genesis chapter 2 verse 17 you may eat from any tree in the garden but if you eat from this one tree you shall surely Die. Ezekiel chapter 18 verse 20 says the soul that sins shall die. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 12, 1, 1 and 2 says and you were dead in your trespasses of sin. And I'm going to paraphrase the rest. When you live like everyone else in the world lives. There's one more kind of death. Before we really go crazy on life. We're going to talk about resurrection in a moment. And we're going to not go back. We're not going to go back to all this depressing death. But i got to talk about one more type of death. And it's the worst. Spiritual death. And the reason why spiritual death is the worst. At least one reason. Is because all other kinds of death come from spiritual death. When you die to a relationship with God, what life do you have left? Can you know the purpose for your existence then? Can you know, even if you die, where you'll go after you die? Without God. This is the worst kind of of death. It's spiritual death. Not being in relationship with God. You might as well call it curtains already. Because at that point, you're you're hopeless when cancer comes your way. You're hopeless when your spouse says, "I'm I'm not into this anymore. You're hopeless when your child makes decisions that you know are going to threaten their lives and are going to threaten your relationship with them. You're hopeless at that moment. Without God, what hope do you have when dreams begin to die? destinies begin to die when life begins to ebb away from you what hope do you have without God so spiritual death is the worst for all these reasons but it's also the worst because it lasts the longest because spiritual death is being separated from God and when we hear the Bible tell us the truth it says that separation from God in spiritual death is like what God wants to bring us that is spiritual life Spiritual life being eternal, spiritual death also being eternal. Separation from God that never ends. Imagine being separated from God forever. Because in God is everything there's good. 
Friendships come from God. Love comes from God. Blessings come from God. Imagine the absence of all of that. Imagine the pain and the agony. Imagine the deep, deep regret. Imagine, and some people don't like to talk about hell, but I'm, I don't have a hang-up talking about hell because I know that hell is only for those who refuse to repent of their sin. What that means is God doesn't send us to hell. We send ourselves to hell when we refuse to allow God to be in our lives. So then hell makes sense to me. I hate the thought of it emotionally, but I get it intellectually. It makes perfect sense to me. If you choose to be without God, as a human who God has given free will, God loves us and respects us so much that he allows us to choose whether to have him in our lives or to not have him in our lives. And when we choose to not have him in our lives, we become fixed at the moment of death in an eternal state of separation from God. And that's why spiritual separation stinks more than any other form of death. But what does Jesus say about death? Jesus is a curious individual, isn't he? Like, do you ever read him and say, say what? You just said what? That doesn't make sense. Do you know that when Jesus arrived at the tomb of Lazarus, he talked about him being asleep. Before he got there, he said to his disciples, we've got to go to Lazarus because, you know, Lazarus is sick and, and he's fallen asleep. And the disciples are like scratching their head and saying, well, if he's sleeping, he'll get better. Let's, let's just let him sleep, you know. And then Jesus said to him, no, what I'm saying is, is Lazarus has died. So I want to say, Jesus, why didn't you just say that in the first place? Why confuse us saying that Lazarus is asleep if he's died? Why do you have to speak in all these euphemisms and, you know, try and be cryptic and all of that? But Jesus is not speaking in a euphemism. He's not speaking cryptically. He's speaking from his perspective. You see, this is the way that Jesus views death. He views it as sleep from which we can wake up. Just like you go to sleep at night, you can rise up in the morning. I don't ever go, oh, I'm going to go to sleep tonight. Am I ever going to wake up in the morning? I know that I'm going to wake up in the morning. I mean, there, there's a chance that I won't. But for the most part, I, I'm pretty sure I will. You know why? Because for 55 years, I've been doing it every single day. I've been going to sleep and waking up in the morning. And so the perspective of Jesus is simply sleep. When he went to raise that young girl from the dead, he said to them, she's sleeping, and they laughed at him. You see, Jesus is not overwhelmed by death. He doesn't fear it like we do. He's not afraid of it. You know why he's not afraid of it? Because he experienced it, and he overcame it. He experienced it on Friday, but he overcame it on Sunday. You see, in all of our lives, there's Friday experiences. There's physical death, spiritual death, death of dreams, death of destinies. We all have Friday experiences. But in Jesus, Sunday is always on the way. And when Sunday comes, there's hope again. There's faith again. There's reason to believe again. There's, there, there's life again. You know what? Just like Lazarus when Jesus came to his grave and said he was sleeping and then explained, oh, well, you guys just need to understand, I just have a different perspective about death. It's not permanent for me. It's something that I can overcome, and I'm going to show you how I'm going to do it. And then he said, uh, move away the stone. And at this point, they were like, oh, it's going to sink. But he said, move away the stone, and they moved away the stone. And then he said, Lazarus, come out. And to their astonishment, a man wrapped in the cloths, in the, in the, in the, in the wrappings of, of the funeral preparations of that day, walked out of that place. He not only didn't stink, but he was alive. And Jesus said, unwrap him. That's what Jesus does in our lives. He gives us life when we have no life. And we still might have some stuff on us. But he unwraps over time. He takes off. 
You know, when I first came to Jesus, I didn't know him like I know him today. Well, I knew him enough to know that he was my only hope, my only savior, that he had transformed my life. When my dad came to know Jesus in this church in 1952, he walked in here after abusing alcohol. I'm sorry, I'm going to tell your story. After abusing alcohol, he was a moonshiner. He was involved in this, that, and the other. He had some upset stuff between his father and him, and he was racist because of the place where he was raised. And he says, but when I walked out of that place on that Sunday morning after coming to know Jesus, he said the sky was bluer, the grass was greener. I looked around at people of all races, and for the first time in my life, I noticed them, and I loved them. And I knew that Jesus had brought life into me. But once Jesus gives you life, he's not done with you. He comes and he takes off the grave clothes. He comes and he takes off the attitudes that are not of him. He takes off the hopelessness that's not, the broken relationships. He has an answer for you every part of your life. He has an answer. The words of Jesus are like no other. His teaching are like no other. He'll tell you how to deal with your enemies. He'll tell you how to deal with your friends. He'll tell you how to deal with those you're married to, those who are your children. He has answers for you in this book. He's going to give you eternal life, but he's also going to give you abundant life. He's going to help you. You know what? I love, I love telling my story. I love telling people that our marriage almost failed, even though we were pastors. We were helping everybody else, but we ran out of steam. We had no love left to give. We couldn't do conflict resolution well at all. In fact, we couldn't do it at all. We, we had no hope, even though we called ourselves Christians, even though we were pastors. But you know what? When you know a living, loving Lord Jesus, there's always hope, even for believers who are struggling, because Jesus doesn't just make you spiritually alive. He takes off the grave clothes. He helps us to get to the place where we need to be. He's at work in your life if you just let him be. Can you say amen. amen so because of Jesus because of his life because of his death and his resurrection and I love what Jonathan said we have deep deep respect for people of all religions deep deep respect you know why because they're people and God loves them and they might not agree with us and we might not agree with them but we don't have any issues saying in a pluralistic, you know, politically correct society, we don't have any issues saying that, 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 that Buddha or Muhammad or whatever other religious leader that you want to follow, none of them came from heaven in fulfillment of, of, of hundreds of years old, old scriptures. None of them died on the cross for us. None of them rose from the dead for us. And none of them promised that we have eternal life. None of them. They talk about hope for heaven, desire, wishful thinking, a desire for heaven. But none of them say, I will give you life. The word of God says in 1 John chapter 5 that these things are written that you may know that you have eternal life. There was a time that I didn't know I was going to heaven. There was a time that I didn't know I was going to heaven. But I realized that it's, it's an issue that all of us have. And I read the Bible and I, re I read that word, you may know, not just wish for, but you may know that you have eternal life. I'm just saying this, the only one who makes the difference, that gives you the assurance that this life is not all there is. And that not only is there more to this life, but the life that you can expect is not hell, but heaven for all eternity. The only one that can give you that assurance is Jesus himself. When Jesus thought to Mary, he said, Mary, I'm going to raise your brother from the dead. And she says, I know, Lord, you're going to do that at the final day of judgment. I know you're going to raise him from the dead. And then Jesus said these powerful words. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will never die. Even though he dies, he will rise. Jesus, let us know that resurrection is not just an experience. Resurrection is a person. Have Jesus, have eternal life. Don't have Jesus, don't have eternal life. That's not a message of exclusion. That's a message that Billy Graham preached all over this world. To all peoples. Jesus didn't give that to exclude anyone. He said, whosoever will may come. And because of Jesus, because of his life, because of his death and resurrection, here's what the Bible then later on says about death. In Romans chapter 7, verse 24 through 25, Paul said, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God 
through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then the scripture that we sang this morning in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse number, excuse me, 55 through 57. Here's what the Bible says about death. Oh death, where is your victory? Oh death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Only in Jesus do you have that kind of hope. Only in Him do you have that kind of promise. Only in Him do you have that kind of certainty. All because of the resurrection of Jesus. The one, and I want to make this clear, the one who experienced death for us so He could conquer death for us. The fear of it, the actual experience of it, the permanence of it, Jesus experienced that for us so that he could conquer death for us. Jesus experienced despair so he could give us hope. Jesus experienced not only uh, sin, um, did he experience even though he was without sin in his own behavior on the cross. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians uh, or 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 21 that he became sin for us. So that we could become the righteousness of God. Recently I've heard some great preachers of the gospel. Make beautiful statement that says this. God is not angry with you. You know what's one of the saddest things in the world? That sometimes people don't come to God because they're afraid of God. And they think that God doesn't love them. I'm just going to make sure that everyone who can hear my voice right now knows this. God loves you. But do you know there's been confusion? God's not angry with you. Because the Bible talks about wrath. The wrath of God against sin. The anger of God against sin. You know this? God doesn't like sin. He doesn't like sin because of what it does to our relationship with Him. Number one. But also our relationship with each other. Lust destroys marriages. Even marriages that haven't happened yet. Even marriages that haven't happened yet are happening because we've allowed, women have allowed lust to invade their lives and it's destroyed their hope. But it's mostly, I'm going to put the men, the men mostly on the, on on the, on the, on the, um, what am I saying? Hot seat? Yeah. I'm going to make them responsible. Men are ruining even future marriages by their lust, by addiction to pornography, by affairs, all of those things. Because what you're doing is you're not honoring that woman, you're objectifying that woman, and it's going to destroy your relationship with somebody to come. Sin ruins life. And that's why God doesn't like it. God doesn't like sin because it brings death into not only our relationship with God, but into our relationship with each other. But I just want you to know this. Jesus didn't stand by to this problem. He actually became sin for us. So even though we should never understand God's not angry with you because God God is angry at sin. He has a righteous indignation against sin. So how can we understand this statement? And I believe it to be true that God's not angry, angry with you. And it's out of that same passage of Scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, says we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. That's a good one for here on Embassy Row, amen? We are there. That's by the way we call ourselves Embassy Church. It says we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making His appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf to be reconciled to God. You see, there's a beautiful opportunity of reconciliation before God. And when that passage of Scripture des- de- describes reconciliation, it says this, God is not counting our sins against us. You know what? Your sin has angered God. But you need to know that the good news of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is this. Is that Jesus took that anger so that you don't have to take that anger. That's why God doesn't have to say that He's angry with you. Because the wrath of God that should rightly have come upon us for our sin, Jesus took it to the cross. Jesus took the shame of the cross. He took the rejection of the cross. He took the physical, emotional, relational, and spiritual suffering of the cross. He take, took it all so that we don't have to take it. That's why I'm saying this to you. No matter what you've done, God loves you. No matter where you've been, God accepts you. God wants to bring you in a relationship. That's what the, 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 the whole message of Easter is all about. And all of this that, that we call Easter has been accomplished for us by the Lord Jesus Christ. How many of you would just uh, allow me to share, make one more point before we're done?
Three of you. All right, a little more. But how do we know it's true? How do we know we can believe it? I'm going to recommend a YouTube video to all of you. Write it on a piece of paper. Write it on the back of your hand. Write it on the back of your neighbor's hand. (laughs) Write it wherever you can and watch this video. It's a debate between a renowned atheist named Richard Dawkins and a renowned scientist, a professor at Oxford University, Professor Lennox. I'm sorry. I was going to show you the video, so I didn't write down his first name. and It just, the sound wasn't good enough to show you, so I'm going to talk to you about it. It's called, Has Sin as Science Buried God? Write that down. A video, uh, Lennox versus Dawkins, Has Science Buried God? It took place at the Museum of Natural History there at Oxford University. And this, I think, very... I mean, I, I just feel like Richard Dawkins just gets honest about what he believes. And I, re, I respect him for that, at least for that. I don't agree with him on a lot of other things, but I can still respect him as a human, right? And you know what he said? Somebody just found it. I just heard it. Somebody just found it on there. He said, you know what? All of these myths and fables and fairy tales that we believed as children, we need to now grow up. And we just need to acknowledge that all of us die and that the universe is going to die. And just come to terms with it. And I was like, well, I want to go to that guy's church. I like to, that's my philosophy of life I like to embrace. But you know where, where I respect him? That's what he believes. And he's just saying we need to come to terms with it. And then Professor Lennox responded back to him. And said, I'll take you one even worse than what you just said. I mean, they both agreed. We need, we need to know, is this credible? Is, it, is, there, is there evidence? That's what they said. Listen to this. And after he described his worldview, Richard Dawkins, Professor Lennox described his worldview. And he says, you know what? That might be a worldview of an atheist, but I'm just going to tell you the worldview of a believer in Jesus. We believe that God, the creator of the universe, can be our personal friend. And that life is not all that we have here, that there's more waiting for us. And in that, we feel that we have such meaning that we want the whole world to experience. And then they agreed again that even though their worldviews were very different, it still needed to be based on evidence. And Professor Lennox went on to say that all historians, ancient historians, except for one or two examples, all of them agree that Jesus existed, all of them. Without exception of just maybe one or two individuals, they agree that that was the case. And the majority of them, even those who would not consider themselves Christians, acknowledge that the evidence of ancient history is that Jesus was, was crucified after being uh, uh, condemned as a criminal by Pontius Pilate, a Roman governor. And that after, uh, three days after he died, that somehow his disciples believed that he was alive. Now, one of the greatest evidences that I see of the resurrection of Jesus is this. That Jesus, when, when, when Christianity was most embraced in a, in a way when you look at it uh, percentage or proportional to the number of people that were hearing the message. When Christianity was embraced the most, it wasn't accepted by any authorities. Not military authorities, not governmental authorities, not religious authorities. There was no authority that said, this is what we want you to believe. For the first 300 years of Christianity, it was, it was almost entire opposition. It was illegal in Rome to be, to be a Christian. We know this from the catacombs. We know this from the Roman believers who were burned at the stake. We know this from those who were, who were thrown to the lions. We know that these people were threatened. We also know that those disciples of Jesus could have said, Hey, don't crucify me. Hey, 
don't, don't burn me because we, it was a hoax. It didn't really happen. But all of them to their death, under persecution, under the, the threat of death and death itself, none of them recanted. And so what we have is a true testimony of eyewitnesses and then a widespread growth of Christianity in the first 300 years by Jewish non-proselytizers, a group of people who never went anywhere. They stayed home. They fished. They collected taxes. They didn't go anywhere. They didn't write anything. After Jesus comes and dies on the cross for them and rises from the dead, they start writing books of the Bible. They start traveling to Africa. They start traveling to India, to Persia. Can I hear an amen? They start traveling all over the world. And the reality is, is that when we see the spread of Christianity in the first 300 years, there could be no other rational explanation of that, but that these men and women actually saw and experienced what the New Testament says they experienced, and that is the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Can you say amen? Amen. The reason why we can have hope in the resurrection is because the resurrection is not just a story. It is true. And in fact, when you look at life itself and the futility of it and the end of it, and the backbiting, and the gossiping, and the ruining of reputations, and the ruining of lives. When you consider that without God, most of the population of the world never gets justice, never gets the food they deserve, never gets the water they deserve, never gets uh, the, the verdict in a courtroom that they deserve, never gets justice. All of that without God has is just hopelessness, hopelessness, hopelessness. Nothing is true apart from that. Really, all of that is a myth. All of that is fable. None of that is something that you can believe in. That's why when Joe Drew, my university president, Jewish friend, asked me, what if you found out that the resurrection never happened? Well, how would that affect your belief system? I said, I would at that moment no longer be a believer because if there's no resurrection, there's no life. If there's no conquering death, then there's no hope for any of us. But the beautiful thing is, it's true. You can believe. You don't have to fear. You can dream again. You can have new chances, new beginnings. You can have hope. You can come alive. You can come alive in your relationship with God, in your relationships with others. Your life doesn't need to stink anymore. Amen. Your life doesn't have to stink in any area of life. I don't care what it is. God is able to make you come alive. You know what I'm going to say very boldly? I will see my sister again. I will see her again. And I know that because her hope was the only one that can give hope. And I know that in the last years of her life, she developed a relationship with God that was far beyond anything I'd ever experienced at that time. And I learned from her. And I look back now and I say, you know what? She was healed of cancer 17 years prior to her death. She got another cancer and that led to the end of her life. But for those two or three years and all those 17 years intervening, I know this. God was not just preparing my sister for death. God was preparing my sister for eternal life. He was preparing her for heaven. When Billy Graham said, hey, I'm going to die someday. And he says, when I die, just know this. All I've done is change my address. You don't have to weep at my funeral. I'm more alive at that moment than I've ever been. I know this is a mystery to some, but we receive this from the word of God. And I want to finish with this last passage of scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse number 50 through the end when it talks about resurrection. In verse 50, it says, what I am saying, dear brothers and sisters, is that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. These perishable bodies of ours are not able to live forever. But let me tell you a wonderful mystery God has revealed to us. Not all of us will die, but we will be transformed. It will happen in a moment, in the twinkling, in the blinking of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, the Christians who have died, those true believers, not all, and I don't even believe it's all of us who call ourselves Christians, but those who go beyond a cultural Christianity into a true relationship with God through his son Jesus. It says those who have died in this state will be raised with transformed bodies. And then we who are living will be transformed so that we will never die. For our perishable earthly bodies must be transformed into heavenly bodies that will never die. When this happens, when our perishable earthly bodies have been transformed into heavenly bodies that will never die, then at last the scripture will come true. Death 
is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where's your victory? Oh, death, where's your sting? For sin is the sting that results in death, and the law gives sin its power. But how, how we thank God, who gives us victory over sin and death through Jesus Christ our Lord. So, my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and steady, always enthusiastic about the Lord's work. For you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. Can somebody say amen in the house? I would love the worship team to come at this time. They're going to play a song in the prayer team. Our ministry team is going to come and pray for people. The beautiful thing about this is that if you walked into this room without a relationship with God and you haven't already prayed to say, God, I want to come into a relationship with you, you, you don't even have to leave this place without being in a personal relationship with God where if you died tonight, you would know that you're going to go to heaven. I can't deliver that promise, but Jesus can. And if you say this morning, I want to, be, I want to pray with somebody, I'd like to start a relationship with God, when our ministry team is standing before you, you're welcome to come. And you might say, well, am I going to be embarrassed? I don't know what people are going to... Here's the beautiful thing. Lots of people are going to be coming for prayer. Some people are going to be coming for prayer because they have physical illnesses that need to be changed. They need, to, they, they need a miracle. They need a healing in their body. Some people are going to come because of relational issues, death of dreams, death of destinies. Some people say, I'm a believer, but I'm, I'm, I'm defeated. And I've gotten away from having a relationship, a living, vibrant relationship with a living Jesus. And I need to come back to the Lord. And we're going to pray for those people. We're, we're, our ministry team is just going to pray for people while, we're, while, we're, while our worship team is leading us in this music. But I want to give you the words that this song that, that's about to be sung so that you can hear it. This song is called, You Came. And it's referring to Lazarus. But it's talking about Jesus who not only raised Lazarus from the dead, but was raised from the dead by God the Father through the power of the Holy Spirit three days after his death. Jesus who conquered death, not only at the tomb of Lazarus, but ultimately for all of us, out of his own tomb. The word says, you stood outside my grave with tears still on your face. I heard you say my name. My night was turned to day. You came. I knew that you would come. You sang my heart. It woke up. I'm not afraid. I see your face. I am alive. You came. I knew that you would come. You said death's only sleeping. With one word, my heart was beating. I rose up from my grave. My fear was turned to faith. You are a miracle working God. You are a miracle working God. You turned my fear into faith. You raised me up from the grave. You came, yeah, you came, yeah, you came. I knew you would come. I'm going to invite you to stand if you would, please. And I'm going to pray and I'm going to give you the opportunity to come and give an opportunity to, for God to come into your life and make all the difference in your lives. We're excited because we reach out to our community, both our adoptable community in Columbia Heights yesterday and now our community around us are going to be people that will join us at 1 o'clock for our community Easter egg hunt and our kids here will join with kids from the community and there'll be story time, singing and uh, there'll be picture booth stuff for kids and their families and all those beautiful things and of course the Easter egg hunt. But there's also going to be story time to tell on a kid level the same message of what we just shared here this morning. So I want to include that in our prayers before you respond to God. But I just want to pray for you. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you, Lord, for this beautiful day, God, the Easter breakfast, our Easter worship, God. Lord, for your beautiful word to share with us the hope that you give, the eternal life that you give. Father, we praise you for who you are. Lord, we pray, Jesus, that by your Holy Spirit, you would bring people into relationship with Father God. 
that people would know today that they've come alive spiritually, that they now are in relationship with you that will last forever. God, I pray that people would look to you, God, look to you, Jesus, who alone accomplishes for us and allow you, Holy Spirit, to draw us in a relationship with Father God. I pray, Lord, that you, God, would let dreams come alive again today, prophetic words that we've no longer believed because of circumstances, that we would have renewed faith. I pray, Lord, that you would restore destinies, God. I even pray, Lord, that you would even help us to recover society to whatever degree that we possibly can by your love, God, and by the hope that you bring into our lives. I pray, Lord, that I know that there are leaders among us, God, of nations and of this nation. I pray that we would bring transformation and resurrection even to our societies, to people that don't even know Jesus personally. I pray, Lord, that we would affect change, God, in our society by our voting, by our, by our lifestyles, by all of the things that we can do to bring life to those around us. But we know ultimately that the greatest change that we can make is to bring people in a personal relationship with you. And all of us can do that. Whether we have a high or low position in society, all of us, Lord, have a high place in you where we can bring people to you and into eternal life. So I pray, Lord, that you would make alive in us that thing that says always abounding in the work of the Lord, never tiring, never giving up, because what we do in the Lord will never be futile, will never be useless. And so, Lord, let life come back into Christians again today. Let life come back into our prayer lives, into the time that we spend with you, into reading your Bible, God. Let life come back into us. Let the purpose of the cross be what we live for. The resurrection be what we live for. Make us alive as Christians, God. In Jesus' name, God. Father, help us to love the lost and the lonely, God. And, and, and Lord, the, the poor, God, help us, Lord. Make that come alive in us, God. In Jesus' name. And Father, I pray, lastly, Lord, that you would bless, Lord, our, our outreach to our community. Lord, the church family, they're going to be blessed by this time of fellowship with families and friends, God, that we're about to have, but also, Lord, those who, who, get, who come at our invitation, Lord, to, to hunt Easter eggs with their kids, and they would enjoy the songs and the message, and then, Lord, you would bring life into homes, God, all around us, God. We praise you, Lord, for what you're doing, God, in Jesus' name, God. I just want to give you an opportunity right now, not to, not to clap for the worship team or the preacher or the the building or the church or anything like that but i just want to give you an opportunity right now just to give a standing ovation to jesus our lord who has conquered death for us by his cross and by his empty tomb Enjoy this song. Enjoy this song. Enjoy. Please feel free to come now and be prayed for. And if anyone has to go, we certainly understand. If you have to go, we certainly understand. Enjoy the rest of the day. Enjoy the week. If you want to connect with us through get Connect Cards, do it at the Hospitality Center. You want to be back next week for these amazing miracle testimonies and healings and all of those things. We invite you to come back for that. Uh, we, we just invite you to connect with our Hospitality Center in the back. We also have a book called What's Next for You and God for those who started their relationship with God today. Please receive that book for free before you leave at our hospitality center. God bless you. Move in whatever direction you want toward the prayer. Uh, if you have to leave and then we'll have in just a few moments our Easter egg community outreach hunt. Okay, God bless you.